This week, for all the usual reasons, we couldn't get together to record, but I lined up a guest, and while I might have usually put this in my Lords of Computing podcast, I thought this was a good opportunity to surface it uh, here to the larger podcast. So enjoy, and we'll see everyone next time. So my first question, Bridget, do you use (laughs) pens or pencils? Uh, I mostly just take notes on my phone. Whoa, fingers. you know, right? Like, I don't. I definitely don't use pencils because they the graphite breaks and everything is terrible. And if I want graphite to break, like, I feel like I could have a lot more fun with the actual, you know, monitoring tool. Hey, that's um, that's a nerd joke right there. Hilarious. <laughs> but if uh, I do carry a pen, but I'll be honest with you, it has one main function, which is I have a pen that's in my bag um, for all travel. Uh-huh. But that pen has gaff tape wrapped around it. And I peel off little pieces of the gaff tape to cover all of the horrible, colorful, blinking lights in hotel rooms. Oh, right, right. You've got the uh, the Merlin Man habit. That that seems to be something <laughs> he talks about all the time. Well, I, I ask because my son uh, is finally into doodling and drawing, and so mm-hmm. so he uses a pencil for that. And so I've been I've been drawing with him and using a pencil again. And, and I don't I use a pen. I I just mm-hmm. I I don't the pencils are just as you describe them, they're, they're awkward. They're a little weird, but, but you know, it's, it's what, I don't know if you have this problem, but I feel like there's these, uh, uh, implements of doing stuff with, I was going to say creativity, but that sounds high and mighty. <laughs> and and I always feel like if I don't use an implement for long enough that I'm doing something wrong. So I've got to like cycle through the stuff. So I don't know. I'm, I'm giving pencils a try today, but, uh, I, I don't think it's going well. I don't, I don't like pencils. I like pencils. I think pencils- Pencils might be okay for home, and I would worry about them more for travel just because mm. it seems like they'd be more likely to break or need sharpening or need exactly. more lead refill. That was my first thought is like, all right, so if I really end up liking pencils, right, I'm going to have to take pencils with me, which means you have to take a pencil sharpener. And then and maybe a and, pencil case to yeah. protect them. Ooh, and a pencil case. Yes. And, and and then I started watching some how to draw videos last night, which made it all look <laughs> like, how hard can this be? You know, you know how people draw things and it always looks really easy. But anyhow. Wait, I've, I've seen that meme. Like, first draw a couple of circles, oh, then yeah, draw yeah. the rest of the goddamn owl. It was, it was a little more complicated than that. But yes, it was, it was similar. Where the, the, This one, the guy was like, well, if you want to do foreshortening, just do coils. You just draw these coils because you kind of understand how how circles grow and change as they get closer and further from you. And then so he just does it like effortlessly <laughs> and then erases it. And all of a sudden he's got like some figure like, you know, putting its hand in your face. And, and uh, it just looks really easy. I'm sure I could try it out and it would be awful. It would be yet another stick figure with a fat stomach, which it I guess would, is my specialty. It would be the entire owl. It would be the entire <laughs> owl and it would look amazing. Exactly. You could start attacking me. <laughs> uh, yep. So we'll see how pencils go. Well, you've been you've been uh, you've been at Pivotal a year now. We were just figuring out like we podcasted, I think, back in September of last year or I don't know. I could probably go look it up, but it's been like a year since you've been here, right? I think so. Yeah, I think we're just about a year since we did a Pivotal podcast. Oh, and and uh, so what do you think? How's it been working out since you're on the record here? It's been it's been going pretty well. I I was I gotta say it took uh, Andrew Cliche for the better part of ninety minutes to convince me that if I came to work for a vendor I wouldn't be evil, <laughs> and I'm still feeling pretty non evil. Yeah, yeah. So what were your concerns of evilness? 
Well, I think some of it was, uh, you know, reporting up through, oh, dear me. We're going to decline that. I don't know if that was audible only to me or also to you, but apparently for some reason my phone is ringing on my laptop. So this is this is one of those possibly confusing things where in Apple's ecosystem, you end up with possibly more of your phone and laptop connected than you really want. Mm. And I'm usually very reluctant to upgrade to whatever Apple thinks is the new shiny. It's kind of like the the dot zero release of MongoDB is like, I'll just wait for the dot one or dot two or dot three when things are less terrible. Yeah. Um, and Oh, this is actually hilarious. That was my spouse calling, asking when they can uh, flip our power off and then back on to finish installing our outlet for our new Tesla. So many topics here. Answer, he can definitely not turn our power off right now since we're recording. You got you got a new Tesla. That's exciting. Like, did you get the, the whole big power rig thing that you get the plug or something? Is that what that is? <laughs> Um, so many topics. I feel like we're we're doing the we're doing the um, lisp thing of cars and cars here. Oh, yeah, so yeah. sidebar on the Tesla topic. Um, we live in a condo. It's apparently possible to get a power outlet installed in our parking garage that is attached specifically to our power, which is great because then mm. there's no weird like you know cross billing from the condo association. Yeah. But it's also awesome because it means since we signed up through. Um, our energy company for the 100% wind power, it means we have a wind-powered Tesla. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> like like a sailboat, That's um, right. you know, shiny and red. Now, my my understanding of that, maybe maybe you, uh, and I'll try to remember uh, all the stuff that we've, we've pushed into here, but my understanding of that, it's like the grid is basically like uh, constant power from every source all the time that dissipates if you don't use it or stick it into a battery or whatever, Correct. right? And so- Technically, if something is wind powered, what that means is that you're just funding sticking wind power it produced energy into, into the grid. You're not Absolutely. there's not actually a link between a uh, uh, what's it called a turb a windmill I, I don't know. <laughs> a windmill and your car in our car wouldn't that be kind of cool imagine putting the wind turbine on top of the car that's right no it, you're absolutely just funding either you know solar or wind or whatever um, you're like a like a patron the- of the wind that's right. Um, but you're right about storage on the grid. Um, there was actually a really uh, – Maggie, I can't remember her last name. She was a science editor from Boing Boing, wrote a really interesting book about the power grid uh, some couple, couple, three years ago where uh, apparently some of the ways they try to store power on the grid are along the lines of if there are naturally occurring caves mm. that they can somehow store some sort of, I don't know, gas or air pressure or something in and then release it at will like there are things other than you know the products of elon musk's creativity yeah. there are things that uh, you can store power in but they're not very well put together on our um, nationwide power grid which by the way is three grids you know this right i think so i know texas has its own grid but beyond that i don't that- really know it's this is the people who, of course, since you live in Texas, you know people do not mess with Texas or its power grid. But um, for the for the vast majority of the U.S., it's like whichever side of the Rockies you're on, that's the grid. Or Texas, oh, because right, right, right. Texas has to be special. So, so the, it's, it's divided by the Rockies, basically, which would make yeah. sense because it'd be hard. I mean, I guess it'd be possible, but when you're laying out the grid, like going over the mountains, probably not too awesome. <laughs> right. 
So, but anyway, yes. So we don't technically specifically have the power generated from the wind turbines being the exact stuff that is making this podcast possible in our home and would be bad for them to turn off while I'm in the middle of. Um, However, yes, we are uh, assuaging the great amounts of guilt that I get from the carbon footprint that is uh, related to the amount of flying that I do. Mm. We're we're assuaging that guilt by having, you know. Exactly. And then... And then, so, so that's, that's the, you know, speaking of guilt, that's the evil vendor thing. So like, what, what, what's, what was your, what's your association of working well, at vendors? I think it's more as a practitioner, uh, I spent so much time having people lie to me about how many IOPS would be in the storage I was about to buy <laughs> that I was very happy to move to public cloud where I would click a button, which would at least not lie to me or hit an API, which would hopefully not lie to me. Um, as opposed to being on that supply side of, how aligned are their interests with mine? Right. You know, are they just trying to get me to agree to something that is going to be terrible life choices and I will vastly regret? You know, buy some disc from Joe's house, a bait and disc, and later that disc has horrible failure states. Like, <laughs> so when dealing with vendors, especially on the hardware side, um, I had a number of vendor related experiences that made me highly skeptical of, you know, how vendors are motivated and how likely they are to have your best interests at heart. Right. And so I think that's one of the things I've been really happy with at Pivotal is we're happy to tell people, hey, we sell software, we sell solutions. Um, Our software is, in fact, not a magical panacea for every single thing that's wrong in your organization. We will hold your hand through fixing some of the things that are wrong in your organization, and we'll we'll have those nuanced conversations with you about what about our software um, might help you, and what inside your organization, you know, what kind of heavy lifting and homework you're going to have to do in order to be effective, because just, you know, magically rubbing some software on it is not actually going to fix every single thing wrong in an organization populated entirely by humans. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, you know... T- tell me if you think this is wrong, but that seems like in our in our group, wh- whatever we are here at Pivotal, like that that's that's a a constant theme that we have is like uh, software is just the beginning of your problems, <laughs> so to speak. <laughs> like like it yeah. seems like that's that's a pretty uh, uh, that's that's a major sort of like philosophic point that someone has to uh, give us before we can continue having a productive conversation with them. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that that is one of the reasons. So when I was when I was concerned about, oh no, I'm going to work for a vendor. Like, will I just you know spin a web of deceit and lies for people, and then I don't know, go home and count vendor money, but like secretly my soul is blackened by this terrible whatever. Um, it's really nice to realize that we do have those conversations with people about what they probably need to change and how they need to transform, and we are privileged and lucky enough to be able to start it with like these are the realities on the ground listen to what's going on inside their org um meeting with a lot of people at a lot of different customers you know and prospects and meeting with them and finding out what's happening inside your org here are some of the actual facts technological solutions that you'll probably find useful many of which pivotal would be happy to sell you um and here are some of the transformation choices you'll need to make many of which pivotal will be happy to hold your hand through so right. yeah it's definitely both broader and more nuanced than i suspected it would be from the outside so, so, so that, it's, been that, a great, it's been a great year so far <laughs> that, that hits that hits on two things i was thinking that so last week i was uh I, I was recording a little uh i don't know what you call it like like a 
a throwback episode for my my first podcast for Drunk and Retired, and and my my, <laughs> my friend Charles was asking me like what it is I do, which is a very common wait, wait, wait. question. Do you have a podcast that I don't listen to? Because this is relevant to my continued flight interest. <laughs> well, we don't do that one anymore. That's the word I was trying to look for, where like you'd resurrect an old thing for like a special show. Like, okay. I, I don't know, like, well, you, you, you like the, the Babylon 5, right? It'd be like, we're sure. going to do three special episodes, right? Yeah. Of, of what's happened. Like, there must be some word for that where they, uh, I don't know what it is, but mm, we'll yeah. Think about that. So that was, that was like the first podcast I had. I think we had like 170 episodes. Like, we started it way back in 2006, and, and, uh, I don't know. We, we have kids now and, and, mm-hmm. and stuff. And, and I don't know. There's multiple reasons for not doing it. So, so, but so he asked you what you do. Yeah, yeah, and th- and this, you know, my dad always asked me this, and and it's more of a joke. He's just like, I don't think he actually listens to my answers or or believes me when I tell him. But that's fine. But you know, this is a common question people ask, and and I have sort of like uh, I I don't know answers, I guess. But but I'm curious, right? So so there's two questions. One, so now that you've been here a year, how would you describe what it is you do exactly, as they say? And then, and then when we finish that one up, I, I, you, you raise another question in my head is like, uh, so there's like all this stuff about Pivotal we go and tell people. And I'm curious how like you keep up on that stuff, like our own sort of uh, portfolio of whatever. But mm-hmm. but so first of all, so when people ask you, because I'm, I'm sure you meet people out there, you know, you were at Velocity last week and they're like, mm-hmm. so what is it you do exactly? Or, or do they, you know, I'm sure there's people who know, but when people are actually asking that, like, what do you, sure. what do you tell them? Um, well, I think the official answer is technical advocacy for Cloud Foundry. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, right. And right. then I Good often, answer. Um, and, then I, and then I often explain um, how Cloud Foundry, the open source project and Pivotal Cloud Foundry, the commercial project are related and different. Uh-huh. So like, depending on the audience, sometimes I'll say that. Um, I think the flippant answer is probably pink haired thought leadership as a service. Um, and that one is basically the part where we go out there and, you know, talk to people about all of the DevOps jazz hands or like hand wavy ideas or whatever. Sure. It's not exactly about Pivotal's products. It's more about how you could come to these um, realizations and then solutions Right. Pivotal is one of the places that you can get some help with both the realizations and the solutions. So it's kind of that one step removed. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, tell me if you think this matches, but the the way I think I just, or I think what you're talking about is this thing that the way I describe it is, is uh, I often go and explain to people uh, how they have problems that would induce them to be interested in Pivotal. Sure. I mean, and like Pivotal is not the only place where they can get some help. I would say it's kind of a one-stop shopping for some of the culture and tools, which is nice because there are lots of consulting companies that'll kind of help you with the culture and then you have to decide which tools you want. And there are, of course, professional services out there from various companies that will certainly help you through some tools. And those tools may or may not help depending on how the people inside your org are interacting. So I think maybe one of the one of the sales for Pivotal is, hey, we can probably help you along this entire spectrum. You sort so then what are the activities you end up doing? Uh oh. Where'd the audio go? (laughs) 
All right. Well, we had a little power interruption, but that's fine. So go <laughs> go, go on. It's uh yes, it, it is rather amusing when you when you realize how humbling it is that your your electricity can just be abruptly turned off. Like that's a thing that can actually happen. Exactly. But hey, tethering totally works. Um, but yes. Yeah, so in any event, uh. Much like you, I, I speak at a lot of conferences and then do that mysterious thing we like to call field enablement, mm-hmm. which I think that translates to showing up at a customer site or internal event and, you know, running your mouth some and hopefully like someone signs something with a whole bunch of zeros after it later. And there's correlations, not causation, but you kind of hope that something in the conversations you had helped, I guess. Now, now was that was that an expected part of the job for you? I don't think it was entirely unexpected. Mm. Um, I think that uh, I ended up liking it. I mean, over the last year, I think I've been doing it more and liking it more than I thought I would. Right. I think possibly because I'm not on the mysterious so-called comp plan, which <laughs> I did at sales kickoff. I tried to go to the um, you know presentation where they talked the sales individuals through the spreadsheet that explained the compensation package. And it was all very confusing. And I ended up just bailing on that particular session. Yeah. I was I, like, not I, relevant to me, too confusing. Don't care. I, I remember sitting in that and it is like, just, just uh, out of pure curiosity. Cause like yourself, you know, as, as, as I, as I'm fond of like uh, sardonically telling our, our field and salespeople, like, I don't care. I'm not on quota. Right. So it is. Uh, you want to find out what that means. Yeah. Yeah. And and it is. Uh, I, I remember like at, at past jobs like at Dell where I, I had some kind of a view into comp plans and they're they're uh, I think the way that you pronounce the word is Byzantine. They're very uh, <laughs> they're, they're like they're almost like if if you decided to do uh, like macro or microeconomic incentives by committee. And so I'm sure you can reverse engineer all these weird incentives from like a room full of 20 people and their their right. conflicting motivations. It's it's always a, a strange uh, and then and then that's crossed with I don't know what you call this in uh, in comp plan planning, but you're trying to you're trying to prevent the hackers from sort of like figuring out the loopholes of laziness that th- that they could do, right? Like, right. like someone put an error in there. Want to prevent prevent gaming the system? Exactly, you know? right? Like, uh, if if I sell uh, two million dollars of this one skew in this ninety day period, I don't have to do anything for the rest of the year, and and you've got to try to like <laughs> like figure un ungame the system, which I'm sure results in all sorts of complicated stuff. Like it always. It always makes me curious, like why or how just paying a normal salary for salespeople would go, but who knows? It's I think it's one of those things where like the horse is out of the barn at this point, to use that old saying. Yeah, I mean, I think there's nothing wrong with motivating people through, you know, rewards and capitalism and whatever. But as long as you've got those incentives lined up correctly, and I think ours are probably lined up pretty well. But I, I can imagine I've you know, when I was saying that sometimes dealing with um, vendors in the past was stressful for me as a consumer, I think it was because I felt like their incentives were not always lined up with mm. the best outcome for me yeah. as the consumer. So it's, even though I don't uh, specifically have a comp plan like that, I do always like to think about the outcomes for the consumer. You know, it's like kind of the, you know, yeah, okay, I'm wearing a Pivotal jersey today, but all of you might end up working for us or, you know, who knows what orgs we're all going to work at in the future. And so you don't want to work with people in such a way that they'll wonder what 
terrible motivations does this individual have? Yeah, yeah. No, so so going back to the thing, I I think I think visiting with uh with actual real people, that's that's one of the more delightful parts of the job. And it it, it <laughs> I, I I think I think like you, it's not entirely unexpected, but I think the amount that we end up doing it is uh it's it's nice that it's more than I I thought it would be going in. Like I I remember when I was interviewing, it was basically like you can either travel or write stuff. And that's those are the two the two scales of things, and I think I think going to uh, visit people was is quite nice. So, are there? Uh, well, you know. And you write a lot more stuff than I do. <laughs> like I do some podcast stuff. I do a lot of conference speaking and a bunch of that visiting people business. But you have like all of your medium and all of that mm. good stuff. Yeah, yeah. I, I I have to write things down so that I know what to talk about. Otherwise, uh, otherwise I get. I was just talking with someone this morning that. Uh, I had gone to present to uh, a meeting they had here in Austin, and now I'm going somewhere later this week to talk to some other people. And so they said to give the same talk over again, and I sent over some slides, and, and I had to tell them, like, there might be some new visuals, but I haven't come up with anything new to talk about since last I uh, talked to you. So it's all the same ideas. But that's, you know, I find that, I don't, I find that a challenge is sort of like uh, not getting bored at hearing myself talk about the same thing over and over <laughs> again. I agree with you so wholeheartedly. Yeah. One way one way I combat that is, um, for example, I was giving a talk at the Agile 2016 conference that I had given a number of times. Mm. And it turns out that our, um, you know, comrade in arms, uh, Andrew Clay Schaefer, was able to be there. And so I suckered him into joining me and co-presenting it, which made the talk a conversation between us instead of, you know, just me going over the same slides, talking about the same things. And so, like, the outcome ended up being very different. But, I mean, I think the conference was happy with it and the attendees were happy with it. Oh, yeah. It's like sometimes nice. you got to mix it up. Yeah, you just <laughs> you just add some chaos into it, make it more entertaining for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. So, so on that topic, so what are, what, are, is there any, what are some other things that were, like, unexpected now that you've been here a year? Like, are there other things that have come up that, that you didn't realize you would be doing or that were interesting? Or <laughs> what, what else? Well, uh, I like to call chasing airline status the gamification of poor life choices and but there, i mean there is something to be said for perhaps i will have a slightly less horrible uncomfortable experience on this tin can in the sky oh yeah that's you know, sort of exciting i guess so so deal, um, dealing with the the uh the the small vagaries of travel and 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 also <laughs> the the system of, of business travel right oh concur yeah <laughs> Concur so, often wants me to take the budget airline that doesn't actually have e-boarding passes and makes three stops in cities very, very far away from my route. And I'm like, no, Concur. I'm just going to move the sliders until um, that's no longer a viable time. Because yeah. that's one of the excuses Concur will accept that time doesn't work. I mean, even if the excuse is actually uh, my sanity is worth more than the $27 worth of savings. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty draconian in there. It's And it's such a weird system. Like I saw they bought Hipmunk the other day. And so, which is kind of like a... Uh, it used to be really good. Yeah. I liked yeah. Hipmunk. I, I wonder if there's any of it. I hope so. I haven't used it in a long time. If I remember, it was sort of like a uh, a latecomer kayak, which their search is really good. And I mean, that's that's the... I mean, to complain, that's, that's, that's the thing about that concurs that's so annoying is it's not like... Well, one, it's slow, so it's got that going for it, and two, it's like clearly not built for power users, as it were. So, like, right. like you know, with your no API, we can. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that that would be superpower users, but like, uh, like, like I was speaking of the time thing, like when you, when you pick your initial time slot, it only lets you vary it by like two hours or something. 
So you've got to like start a search all over again. It's just, what a mess. So crazy. Yeah. Yeah, Corporate IT software ripe for disruption right there. So, so like, so what, uh, what do you do for your, your frequent traveler stuff? Like what have you, this is like the first time you've traveled a lot, right? Or have you traveled a lot in previous things? Uh, so my last couple of jobs when I worked at Eighth Bridge and Drama Fever, I was actually getting into the conference speaking. So I wouldn't call it a lot, but I mean, I was traveling enough that I would, you know, bother to try to get work or the conference to reimburse some of it, that sort of thing. Um, but this is definitely the first job I've ever had where like, uh, I start recognizing the gate agents and the people at the checkpoints, <laughs> like definitely first job uh-huh. where that's ever happened. Um, and, uh, I think probably my experience maybe varies from some in that I live in Minneapolis, so I'm a hub captive. Like, I'm going to fly Delta. Right. And I don't really care what all your other airlines have because I'm going to fly Delta. So that changes probably changes. Like, I would never use kayak for flights. Like, don't care. Going to fly Delta. You know, so, yeah, that kind of changes some of the calculus probably. Yeah. Um, And I've also been anti-checked baggage for a long time. Because I am not a big fan of the chaos that can introduce, you know, the delays and the exciting, unexpected, how attached were you actually to your toothbrush and yeah. you know, things like that. Yeah. You know, there, there's there's a wrinkle I've encountered because I, I over the years, I realized I've been traveling the other day for like I've been business traveling for like 10 years, which which I'm sure my wife appreciates. Oh, wow. But, you know, I, I, so, so I vacillate back and forth between, you know, one bag person and, and, and carry on. And, and every now and then I'll like check a bag, which, you know, for business travelers is just like, I've gone insane and I need a straight jacket or something. Ugh. But so over the past, I but would say. How do you say, change your mind about flights? I know. Exactly. <laughs> I, I, I came up with this complicated uh, system where like you can, uh, you can check your bag on the way home. But but maybe not right. on the way out. And then so like if something happens, who cares? Right. I mean, right, right, right. Like it's not that big of a deal. So it's just just risk management. And then because because it is like I, I remember, man, I'm, I'm babbling on here, but I remember they, they have <laughs> on the public radio station here. They used they used to have these little spots of people saying funny stuff. And one person was uh, saying how they went to the airport once and they saw Kinky Friedman getting on the airplane and all he had to put in the x-ray machine was like uh, a watch and a cigar or something. And that's, that's, and, <laughs> and so I've always thought like, man, that would be wow. so awesome if you could just like, like, you know, may, you know, obviously nowadays you just like have your phone and a power ch- and a power cord for your phone and, and you could, and some headphones. I mean, you got enough stuff you could put in your pockets, but that would be nice to just like not have all your stuff. I, I don't know. Anyways. Uh, I've seen our, our coworker Casey West using um, a Bluetooth keyboard with a phone and just mm. thinking like it blows my mind because I, I tried for like, yeah. I don't know, maybe it was eight months or so. It wasn't here at Pivotal, but I tried at a previous job doing my work travel with just an iPad. And I think I just don't like iOS enough to have that be enough for me. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's not even that I always want to sink into the, you know, I don't always want to be in bash. I mean, I want to be in bash a lot, but it's not that I always want to be in the terminal so much as I just want to have like a lot of tabs open and, you know, I want to have the ability to do a lot of things that iOS kind of handcuffs you. Yeah. This is similar to the uh, checking a bag concern. It's like, I, I often fantasize about just taking an iPad, but then I'm like, what if I need to make slides? Right. And and similarly, like the the just being able to go back and forth between different things is is uh, I don't know. I had to relearn how to do all that. So, yeah, I go back and forth between like a one bag and, and a checking a bag. And at the moment, 
I have like a roller bag, but I've been thinking. Uh, and, and the reason I have uh, that is because like <laughs> car- carrying a bag and maybe it's because I need a backpack and then it would be less, less, uh, less hurtful as it were. But oh, right. the problem is that the one flaw, there's two flaws of the roller bag. One, which doesn't really occur is like, you know, getting overhead compartment space. But as I'm sure, you know, once you're sort of like mm-hmm. get your elite status, not a big deal. But then, you know, every now and then you're really late to a plane and then you're then you can't put it up there. But then the other issue is the uh, I don't know what they do on Delta, but the dreaded uh, bag check where then you have to wait in the, the the jet bridge for them to bring your bag out, which is really annoying. Oh, yeah. The, the gate check thing where the, yeah. you get the pink tag or whatever. And, and then like just supposed to stand there. Totally. And then for some reason, if you have a bag, you can put it on your seat instead of uh, I mean, I guess because of, of size and the way that physics right. works or something. But. Uh, maybe going back to a bag size would be nice. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So yeah, there, I mean, I am a big backpack fan. Um, I have a Tortuga air right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've seen some, I've been using it about a year. I've seen some wear on the straps, like the shoulder straps. So I'm not positive that it like would be perfect forever or whatever. But the reason I like it, and it's a small backpack, I think it's a, I don't know, we'd have to Google and see how many liters, but it's somewhere around like a 30 liter ish sort mm-hmm. of backpack has kind of an expandable, you can expand it out a little bit more. Um, I can easily fit three like small packing cubes worth of clothes. And then, um, you know, all of the podcasting equipment and, you know, toiletries and what have you that you want to carry with you, various electronics, cables, and cords. And what I, what I like about having a small backpack is it's not just the, I can put it under my seat if I have to, um, it's also the getting through a crowded terminal quickly. Yeah. I don't know about you, but sometimes I'm running through a terminal, which sucks, but sometimes I am and like dragging something behind me that might, might be kind of a disobedient dog bag and kind of flips over or whatever. Yeah. Dealing with the wheels. Like I've had bad experiences with that to the point where years ago, before I started doing this, I just gave up on the roller bag thing. Yeah. Just because if you have to run with it, you suck. No, that's so. that's true. That's true. The reason I went back to to uh, to to a roller bag is is I have every now and then I have this spate of like travel arrogance where I'm just like, I'm not going to let this travel thing dictate my life. Right. So I, I'm. <laughs> it's it's probably the equivalent of buying like a Suburban instead of like a more efficient car. It's just like or it's like those uh, those coal roller people. They're like, I'm just going to burn some black smoke to come out of my truck just because I have the freedom for it. <laughs> And like, and it's, it just seems like, you know, even if I go on one, a day trip, I'll just take the big roller bag. Cause I don't know to have this. I don't really know why it's just easy. Cause you can. Yeah. Yeah. But I think I mean, it is. It, yeah. You have to get more packing discipline and packing cubes are essential in my view. Yeah, if you're yeah. going to, if you're going to live with a smaller backpack. Oh, especially cause you know how sometimes you're on those regional jets and like nothing fits in those totally. overhead bins. Right. And even my backpack doesn't fit. Unless I unzip it and pull a couple of the packing cubes out and kind of stack them to the side of it and zip yeah. it back up and then it fits. Yeah. No, I've and I've, like I can do that. And, you know, ten seconds flat. It's like deconstruct. Okay, I fit. I've I've seen I've seen the your your uh, your air backpack. It looks pretty nice. Now, did you did you look at the one from New Zealand? Whatever it's called, it's got some fancy name. But uh, I, I think Casey has I, one of those, right? Yeah, he has the Manal. Manal. Um, so yeah. that one was a. That was a Kickstarter, and it wasn't available when I was buying. Uh. But when I saw Casey's in person, um, I'm also pretty short. I'm, my driver's license says 5'4". I'm either getting shorter or my mom's guess when I was 16 was unrealistic, and I'm actually 5'3 and a half on a good day. Uh-huh. So I, I don't have a long enough t- torso for some backpacks. And I think the Manal is just 
a little bit too long for what I can realistically wear on my back. Yeah. That's the same problem with Tortuga's like standard size, bigger backpack um, that our, our coworker, John Feminella just got, which I saw, I got to see that one at DevOps New York. And it's, it's a lot like the Tortuga Air, except it has the weight belt, which is always nice to have. Yeah. But it's just a little bit too tall for me. So I guess maybe the TLDR uh, on backpacks is it's not enough to pick one that you think will hold all your stuff. You're also probably going to need to either obsessively look at measurements or even try on backpacks other people have. So you have oh, an yeah. idea of whether or not they will work for your actual physicality. Yeah, they're kind of like shoes. Right. Like it's it's uh, there's 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 two problems with well, other than being able to pick the ones you want. That's the first problem. But like this, you know, you got to try them on to see if they fit. And then the third problem is like you aren't actually going to know if you like them before you've worn them around and can't return them. So so like it's a similar. Yeah. Yeah, The other issue, I I mean, to close out the topic or, or, you know, the other issue I have with bags is like I've bought so many bags over the years that I think my wife would kill me if I bought another bag. Like I I have I'm looking at the closet now. I have this closet full of like bags and messenger bags. And it's kind of like it's you you probably have long had this problem. It's kind of like I have to every I don't know, every quarter or so I have to go clean out my T-shirt drawer because I have way too many like conference T-shirts. And I never want to be the the jerk who's sort of like, no, I don't want your conference shirt because I'm special, right? So I just like, <laughs> I whenever someone's handing me a shirt, of course I take it, right? Because you don't want to uh, appear to be that person. But oof, so many shirts, so many shirts. You know, I'm sometimes okay with being that person if they didn't bother to print fitted shirts because sure. I'm just like, now that makes you sense. want me to sew your shirt? Like, I will actually pull my sewing machine out if I care, but I've literally only done that for like my own employers. Yeah, you know? yeah. No, that makes sense. <laughs> so, so then that's, that's the other thing we were talking about the other day is like, with like, I, I don't, I forget how this came up. Like, I think, I think I was asking about like, uh, like self promotion and, you know, just obviously getting more attention. Cause I've noticed that the, uh, the uh, is primacy the right word like the 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 effect of all the usual mediums i like to do things in like no pun intended is like it's weird nowadays like blogging just doesn't like work essentially (laughs) and and uh so i you know i'm always trying to figure out like what am i missing from from uh getting attention and then this brought up a, a a you know sort of a general question of like so in this in this thought leadering or thought lording work that we do, like, how do you, how do you like go about what, what's your thinking about doing it without being like annoying or jerkish or whatever? Cause there are, uh, sure. and, and this is, you know, somewhat relevant since last week, I think there was some, uh, some annoying thought leadering going on over there at the Oracle open world, right. Which is the, uh, the style <laughs> of as, as my, uh, as my middle school English teacher used to put it like blowing out my candle will not make yours glow brighter. Although I think technically it probably will if you're in a dark room. Maybe not it won't be brighter, but it'll make your candle more valuable if they're if you're the only one. But never mind. You don't need to analyze her uh her uh, her her analogies too much. So like like what what's what's your guidelines for what, for what you do to be like nice? I I mean I think your teacher's right in that I don't think um being present and visible and te- in, in tech has to be a zero sum game. So, like, for example, if there's somebody on a stage saying, you know, casting some shade on somebody else's database for not being open source, and you're kind of like, uh, have you looked (laughs) at your own database lately? Yeah, yeah, right. (laughs) Like, I don't think this stuff has to be a zero-sum game. And maybe that's uh, something that I kind of brought into this gig because I came from a pretty community-focused space where, you know, I was using plenty of 
you know, products related to our possible competitors. And I also know, I mean, as you well, you totally know people at pretty much all of these, you know, people in the, all the, it seems like everybody active in the space knows each other. Right. So I guess instead of um, only saying like, hey, I am currently pitching this thing and I'm also talking about this thing and look at me and having that be the only thing you ever say, I think it's pretty constructive to also point out the work and the efforts and the, um, you know, whatever public uh, facing stuff that others have done, whether or not they work in your same group or even at your same company. Like we have a, I think we have a tendency to want to promote the stuff that is the most aligned with our current self-interest, which is fine. But I also think there's a lot of value for yourself. Like in in terms of your self-interest, I think there's a lot of value in making sure that you're paying attention to and even saying some things about the rest of the tech sphere, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that, no, I, I think, I think, I think, and that is, that's the, to try to boil it down the uh, acknowledging the existence and good work of other people. <laughs> right. Like, I think that is, yeah, that's, that's, that's a difficult one. You know, I think about that a lot and it's difficult to do that. And there's a certain amount of, uh, I don't know, bravery you have to have and risk taking <laughs> in the sense of you're sort of helping uh, competitors promote themselves. And, you know, that, that's something that I consternate a lot about is uh, like the, the not only the most, but some of the most valuable work that I've done over the year is basically where like I might wake up at 3 a.m. in the morning and think like, oh, is that a good idea? <laughs> Right. Like, like that, that didn't really, I shouldn't have said that or done that. But I think, I think after a while, like that, that builds up credibility and also being nice to people to, uh, to acknowledge other stuff. So it is, it's, it's a little nerve wracking to do that, but I think, I think you're right. That's, uh, it makes you seem a lot more genuine. Well, and I mean, I think we all want to, besides seeming genuine, I think we want to be genuine. And that doesn't necessarily mean like, I don't know, say retweeting every single one of a competitor's product announcements, for example. <laughs> right, but like right. say somebody somebody at a competitor has made some really good points that are generally applicable and to certainly also help and support the things you are, you know, tasked with caring about. Like there's really no downside other than the fact that, yes, of course, they may work somewhere else. But there's really no downside in saying, hey, look at this. Right, right. So, so then, you know, I just thought of this before we wrap up. Here, here's another thing I've been thinking about with with our job that I should get better at, and and uh, I don't really know how to do it. Which is, which is to some extent like like recruiting. So I'm always thinking about like how I uh, how I a don't like management, and I'm always a terrible manager. Maybe not as bad as our own self-professed worst manager ever, who actually is a very good manager, uh, but. Like it, it occurs. Yeah, yeah. It like like it occurs to me that like uh, as you become more senior in in your career, recruiting people becomes a implicit or explicit component of what you do. And the only theory of that that I have so far is you have to somehow, in the same way that I remember like obscure presentations from like the 2007 Sun Industry Analyst Day, like you have to remember <laughs> I encountered this person who seemed like they would be a good fit for that. And, and like, I, I don't know, I don't, I don't know how to, I don't have a system for, for thinking about that, but that seems like something that, 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 that I and, and we and our team should be concerned with more is always being on the lookout for talent. 
Yeah, I mean, well, in some ways, I think everyone in our industry is always on the lookout for talent in one mm. way or another. I mean, I think while I was at Velocity, I got several of those emails you always get. And one of them, it was actually kind of funny because it was, you know, I'm not going to say what company, but it was kind of terrible ger- generic recruiter spam. And there was actually someone that I knew from that company present. And so I talked to them about it. And then I later sent them um, an annotated Google Doc with like, my reactions to the various statements in the terrible generic recruiter spam. And <laughs> they said that that was very helpful because, like, you know, you don't always know what the messaging is going out from every corner of your company. And you don't always know how your uh, people who are tasked with trying to add new talent to your team are actually going about doing it. So yeah, that's true. If you, you know, so if you have, I guess, cultivated and then, um, you know, maintained good relationships with people throughout the industry, then you will hopefully have people throughout the industry telling you, like giving you the honest feedback of, hey, this messaging coming out of whether it's your sales, or your recruiting or whatever, didn't, it didn't land very well. Yeah. But like yeah. people have to, they have to know that you're going to, I guess, take that feedback from them and also respect them enough to care. Mm. But I think that's kind of some of the, I don't, I don't know if I want to use the phrase vendor neutral because obviously we work for vendors and we very much like good things to happen with the vendor we work for. But I think also kind of just like making sure that people see that even if you work for one specific vendor, you're still going to care about and pay attention to them and their interests too. Like then you get that kind of back and forth of they'll actually tell, hopefully they'll tell us, hey, the part where your team is doing that makes you look really appealing. We mm. want to work with you versus, so, you know, the other way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no, no. See, that, that this, these, these things play off of each other, right? Like if, if, you're, uh, if you're out and about doing your thought lording and, uh, <laughs> and you're, you're a nice person, then and you go and meet people and eventually like you'll sort of project out like, oh, this is all nice and it's nice by association and it kind of uh, feeds into each other, you know, back to the recruiting and staffing and everything like that. And so, so this, so. But, but before, before we, before we close out here, this, this raises, this makes me think of another question this is the last question. So, <laughs> so how, how do you, how do you feel out, uh, when it's a good idea and bad idea to give people free advice? Like you were just saying, right? It's like, oh, I got this email. So they, they should, I, I'm going to tell them that this email was not cool or, or, you know, or it could be even improved. But like, like what are, what are, what are ways you structure yeah. like, hmm, actually, I'm not going to give them free advice. Like not because you're being malicious, but it's just like, it's not appropriate or, or, or something. Yeah. Okay, so honestly, first, I would say in my own head, like, do I care enough that I'm going to put the effort in, right? Because it would be terrible if you waste your time giving free advice to people you don't care about, about things you don't care about, for Uh work you don't care about. So, like, step one, do I care enough so that if I offer the free advice, like, I would actually put the effort into giving it. And then I, before I give the unsolicited free advice, which is worth what you pay for it, I actually ask, okay, do you want this? Like, it's not required, you know, do you want it? And sometimes they'll be like, oh, yeah, we know about that. And then I don't have to put any time in. And also I didn't potentially upset them. Mm. But like, if they want it, sure. You know, like, I'm happy to have a conversation with you that 
basically ends up boiling down to you should probably go reread Sun Tzu's The Art of War and Machiavelli's The Prince because those are applicable to your current job. <laughs> like, right. I mean, I, I did. I, I have literally had that conversation recently. So with someone who's not at Pivotal. Yeah. So, yeah. Like, there, there's actually you know, I, I mean, for next time that comes up, there's there's a good book that a uh, some fancy Gartner person wrote that you can get for free by filling out some Legion form. And what is it called? Ooh. I, I, I Has Johnny what, Legion already filled this out. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> it, and and it's 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 another one of my favorite types of books, right? It's free and it's like eighty pages, and it's basically nice. like if if you applied Machiavellian thinking to being a CIO or something like that. And it has, <laughs> and and then she comes up with like four categories of like you're either like like uh, you can be like a wolf or a sheep, and then there's some other ones. You know, those are the two opposites, and I think it's maybe like. A shark and a dolphin are sort of like, the, and and if you imagine a circle okay. that's quadrant that's divided into four, right? You've got like the wolf in the upper left, and the sheep in the lower right, and then the shark in the uh, uh, what would that be? The upper right and the dolphin in the other one, right? And it's sort of like <laughs> well, these Gar- these are the four Gar- modes. Loves their quadrants, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. These are like the four modes of operating, and then figure out when to apply these modes and like some anecdotes. And and it, it's uh, I forget about this book a lot, but it's 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 good advice for. Uh, Working in a uh, a caustic environment versus a um, uncaustic. I don't know what the opposite mm-hmm. of that is, but it's a uh, it's it's a good yeah, little collaborative summary. or whatever. Sure, sure. The cool. The, the like Kumbaya Corporation. We'll read it. Yeah, I'll have to I'll have to look up <laughs> what that is. I think it's maybe like the Wolf CIO or something like that. But anyhow, mm-hmm. see, there's some Let's free put advice. A note in the, put a link in the show notes. Yeah, Wolf CIO. All right. Well, that's great. See, I'm, I'm actually, I have, I have something scheduled, so that's why I keep rushing towards an end here. Normally, I would oh, just yes. babble on I'm forever. Looking at the time, I'm looking at the time too. Yeah, so. see, see, I'm, I'm sure you're like me. You, you, your, your mind is just trained to operate in thirty minute chunks. It's just like I don't know. I've been talking mm-hmm. for thirty minutes. If it's minute thirty five, that means I'm going to talk for uh, twenty five <laughs> more, and then I'm out. Right. And we really should just go with the the 50 minute scheduled meetings instead of the hour anyway, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'd I'd like to hear from any place that actually can do that. That's like uh that's like the 6 minute Amazon memo with, you know, like that. I'm mm-hmm. sure that works at one place but nowhere else. That would be that would be hilarious if there's a place where 45 minute meetings actually work. Although I did hear I I heard someone say that the uh, the reason Pivotal Labs meetings start at 9:06 is because they tried at nine and people are always wait late, and then they tried nine fifteen and people are always late. So they figured if you, that they do it at nine oh six, and people are always on time for that for some reason. So that's some sort of uh, psychological trick. Who knows? I want to say the breakfast has something to do with it. Definitely, yeah. I think I think that's <laughs> I think that's key. All right. Well, well, thanks for being on this episode. What uh, where, where do you want people to go to find stuff about you? What, what's what's your what's your uh, what's your jerky self promotion? My jerky self-promotion, probably Bridget Crumhout on Twitter or, or BridgetCrumhout.com, or I have a Google unique name, so Bridget Crumhout pretty much absolutely everywhere. <laughs> mm, you, can, you can do the Matt Mullenweg business cards, although I guess his is for a different reason. But he, uh, he used to have these cards that just said, Matt, Google me, and, and you, would, <laughs> you would definitely find him because he had so many links to his name that Matt would work. But, Why do I suspect that if you Googled Bridget and DevOps, I would probably be on the ooh, first page? Yeah, good like, point. 
Probably. Yeah, you know, and, and, <laughs> anyway. and I, I, li- I like the, uh, you have this practice of like when you go and talk somewhere, you'll like catalog, you're like your own clipping service for it, which, which, uh, speaking of effort, I, w- I wish I would put the effort in that, but I think it's, it's nice because you get a sense for what, uh, what people liked about each talk. That's, that's a nice thing to do. Oh, you're there. talking about the, the tweets I embed on talk pages. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. You have, uh, you have good follow up for things and you put stuff in there. It's, it's, it's nice to catalog that stuff. You know, it, it allows it, it makes it much easier for people to go talk shopping because you're like, here's all the talk, here's the talk, here's the video, here's the slides, and you can see the tweets people put. Exactly. So now you can find out if this is suitable for your needs. Yeah, it's good. It's good. Let me let someone else promote this for me and I'll just curate it. I think I think it's perfect. Yeah. All right. Well, great. Well, uh, well, thanks for being on. We'll, we'll see everyone thanks, next Kote. time.